This episode is brought to you by Harris Resort SoCal. Nestled against a rolling hillside and just down the road from Palomar Mountain, guests at Harris Resort SoCal can expect gorgeous views, friendly staff, available night and day to encourage everyone to have a great time. When I was there recently, I had a chance to dine at California's first and the nation's largest house kitchen. And it's true, the beef wellington and sticky toffee dessert are great. The restaurant is inspired by the hit TV show and features a menu approved by the Michelin star celebrity chef, Gordon Ramsay himself. Hope to see you all at Harris Resort SoCal in 2024. Embarrassed by Night is an all Vietnamese stand-up comedy show that uh, uh, Andy Van and I conceived of uh, in this kind of lampooning Paris by Night. Um, and we've done three uh, pretty successful shows so far and we hope to do a lot more in different cities around California and beyond. My name is Fred Lay. I'm a Vietnamese comedian based in Los Angeles, and I helped co-create the all-Vietnamese comedy show Embarrassed by Night. Uh, and I'm looking forward to my first foray into documentary filmmaking. Welcome to the Vietnamese. I'm your host, Kenneth Nguyen. Being part of a culture of nearly 100 million Vietnamese people in the world today comes with a lot of pain, proud history, and privilege. Join me as I highlight and explore the Vietnamese experience from all over the world. Thanks, Fred. Thanks for coming on the show. And, um, you know, it was crazy. I went to the last Embarrassed by Night, clever name, by the way, and we'll get into that. I went to the last show uh, in Huntington Beach, and I was sitting in there, and I don't think you knew that I was there. Um, I, I don't think you knew or, or any of the guys knew. I told Alex I was coming, but I don't think anybody knew. Otherwise, you wouldn't be cracking jokes like that. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I... <laughs> I, I want to I want to tell you uh, first of all you know uh, I love that you shout the the Vietnamese podcast out but you know I, I I love that you you went after it you went after the jokes you went after the you know you, it sounds like you make fun of Paris by Night and the Vietnamese podcast and everything and I think that's like a fresh thing that um, that's happening is you're unapologetic and you just go and find the funniest shit and you just go for it and I think that that's just such an amazing thing that uh you just go for it and you know you don't know who's in the crowd but you know once you find out it was great it was, i loved it yeah i appreciate that i feel like you're uh also finding a nice way to say i'm okay with bombing <laughs> wait you or me me no, I, no, 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 no. You didn't bomb. I'm talking about how you took the one episode of the Vietnamese podcast out and, you know, that was like a bit in the show, you know? Yeah, um, that was that wasn't rehearsed at all. I just told Andy, Ben, my co-producer, because uh, he had just come from a long trip in New York. And so we didn't, we usually like to, like, get together and write uh, out the bits or like we'll watch some Paris by night. Like, oh, this is this is kind of funny. You remember this kind of stuff? Like, let's let's see if we can lampoon it. But we didn't have too much time uh, preparation for this particular show. So I was just like, Hey, I just found another crazy children's story. Uh, so let's just do that bit. And I kind of felt like that was uh, maybe two minutes too long, <laughs> but uh, it's, it is a wild thing that we teach uh, children in Vietnamese culture. Um, but dude, you know what I was wanting to say? I, let's comment on that. That's nothing compared to right. German fairy tales right you know that's nothing that's yeah, that, yeah. that's fucking kids play no pun intended that's like kids play compared to the aesop fairy tales and all the fables because that gruesome gore is magnified i mean if you think about like uh red riding little red riding hood and the werewolves and you know three bear 
they're much more gruesome than the the one that you read you know it's like and i thought that to be really funny i'm like that's tame shit maybe i'm just a soft millennial yeah um, <laughs> that's what i was gonna say you a do, soft do you think that <laughs> do we sorry do we man find, i'm a comic you can um, you can withstand this right we're gonna talk shit oh of course of course um no but net now you got me thinking like is it the reason why all of these fairy tales used to be like so gruesome is because we we're trying to scare children into submission or or that was just that. what the entertainment was back in the day i think there's that I think there's definitely scare into submission, but I think there's even more psychology that's happening, which is um, there, there's a theory on this. Actually, I didn't come up with this shit. There's like a theory on why it was just beyond trying to scare them into submission. There's like a theory where in order to be whole, that human beings have to get to this. That's why like young people uh, love vampire horror films it, because it rounds out your all that aggression and all of that human like you know we want like we're animals we want to eat we want to you know pick apart you know uh, you know but we're different today you know our generations our new generation it's different but in those days we were still very deep down in the surface animals and we hunt and we you know we want to tear things apart and i think this was it's been theorized that this was an outlet for humans to not go crazy on each other oh wow so it's an outlet okay. it's a way to kind of like let the valve uh if you will let it let it steam um let the let the steam blow off interesting so then disney must be leading to the downfall of civilization yeah they cleaned up but they cleaned it all up that's was it <laughs> that's a different podcast um <laughs> isn't the isn't the vietnamese version of cinderella doesn't that have like cannibalism mm -hmm. in its original ending <laughs> yeah that's crazy crazy shit right so next time you uh think that only the the vietnamese i mean i think the these types of stories throughout roman history greek mythology uh you know the germans french they all have this gruesome sort of this aspect to it now i know what to shield my children from <laughs> here we are with that being said what does it mean to be vietnamese to you nowadays man Shit. i think it's i think it's to know uh from a very young age about the unfairness of the world um and to know trauma either through your family or maybe even your own um uh, and to have that shape you throughout your life, but starting from a madly young age, just thinking about how uh, my mom used to just uh, let let out horrible atrocities that have been committed to the Vietnamese over over the centuries. Uh, like she'd be like, uh, you know, a Japanese uh, Japanese generals used to make the, uh, yeah. once. Uh, once uh, forced a farmer to climb into his own horse and they stood the horse back up with him inside of it. I'm like, oh, thanks, mom. But that shaped me just knowing knowing how fucked up the world can be. Um, and then just learning how to navigate that through that lens. Do you think comedians are funny in their daily lives? Or they have to be funny in their daily lives? Do they have to be funny type people? Or is it like a craft where you can just study it turn it on when you're on stage and the funny moments come from the preparation like what is it 
That's a good question. Uh, I think it, I think it varies from person to person. I know uh, a few comics who are just on all the time. Yeah. I've had this conversation with him. Uh, so I don't feel badly about sharing it with you, but uh, my, my co-producer, Andy, and I'm embarrassed by night, Andy Van, a uh, wonderful comedian. Uh, he is, he is boisterous and joking all the time. He's got this like Labrador energy. Uh, I don't feel like I'm that, mm-hmm. but I think that's why we sometimes work good as a pair because he got that, he's got that canine energy, like uh, always cracking jokes or always trying to, you know, have a large laugh to encourage the people next to him. Uh, and I'm kind of just that feline energy where mm-hmm. I'll just be like, okay, that's interesting. How can I, how can I undermine that? Um, so to answer your question, I don't think that comics need to be on all the time. Uh, they just know when it's, it's uh, beneficial for them to be on. Then again, when I tell people that I like work with, that I do comedy, they'll be like, what? I don't, I don't see that at all. Yeah. I, you know, the crazy thing is I've had audiences listen to Alex, Alex's episode on the podcast. Mm-hmm. And some have said, how is he a comedian? He's not even funny. I'm like, dude. That's not, he doesn't have to be funny when he's talking on a podcast. Some people yeah. might be, but it's not because Alex does the prep. He, you know, does the work where you you have to write. And the beauty of comedy, in my opinion, is being able to be pointed out um, some new facts uh, or, 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 or new angles of seeing things that happen in our life. That's the brilliance and, and genius of a comic is not that you're on all the time. You don't have to be funny. You don't have to be funny ever. But when you get on stage, you better you better teach me some shit that I don't think about, that I don't know about, right? That yeah. I, don't, I haven't seen that way. Yeah, that's actually like the nexus of Embarrassed by Night. I mean, uh, obviously, we're going to attract... Um, wait, should I just share? Like, Embarrassed by Night is an all-Vietnamese stand-up comedy show that uh, uh, Andy Van and I conceived of uh, in this kind of lampooning Paris by Night. Um, and we've done three uh, pretty successful shows so far, and we hope to do a lot more in different cities around California and beyond. Um, but uh, uh, that, that that's kind of what we wanted to do with it. I mean, we knew that we were going to get a heavy Vietnamese audience at the start, but we also wanted to make, you know, people who aren't familiar with Vietnamese uh, culture, and we want to share and celebrate our culture through humor, which is universal or it should be universal or is universal if it's done right <laughs> yeah uh and uh uh yeah and that's uh that's that's why we started that show um now, and we're getting a lot of people i loved it i had a great time i was i was a little bit nervous going in because it's all vietnamese lineup and see that's fucked up too if you think about it right what kind of yeah. fucking program am i programmed with to actually think cringy i was like cringing i was like man i fucking hope these guys nailed it somehow like i hope it's not just some like amateur hour like motherfuckers getting up there and just you know shooting off at the mouth and not knowing a thing about comedy right but i get down there and it's like some some professional funny motherfuckers and i'm like holy shit like they know what they're doing and it's great and i was very impressed and very proud of the work that you guys put together oh thanks man um I actually am glad that you brought that up because when I was starting out in, con- I mean, this is only like, this isn't even that long ago. I got serious about comedy in like 2015. So I would do, do like small bar shows if I ever got booked on anything other than that, it was just open mics. 
And I remember one specific show, I, I was the only Asian guy, of course. And then uh, there was another Asian girl who was just in the bar. She just popped in the bar to look at what was going on. And then she gave me a compliment at the end and uh, was like, yeah, I always get nervous when there's another Asian up there. <laughs> and I, okay. So, you know, that fan, you know, that fan. Is? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. I can tell by that response, that tepid response that, uh, you might share the same sentiments that I do. What happened to him, man? What happened? Uh, Was he never funny in the beginning or we, you know, like what, what, what happened to him? I mean, I see his IG posts and I hope to get him on the show one day and I want to talk to him. Like, were you funny back then? And then now you're not funny or were you never funny? And it's just, we're into the future and he's not funny, you know, like, I think he I had he he had the misfortune of being on the biggest stage. So he was like a totally exotic comic, right? To like was it 2003? He was like, yeah. "Wow, this this tiny body or this tiny Asian figure that we see that we're used to seeing be like subservient or whatever all those all those adjectives that we learn in Asian American studies uh is being boisterous and uh acting out and it's and it was it was good. Like it was scientifically good you know he was he was a lot of the right times um uh but is he had the curse of being the only one who was doing it and that's a tough job um to be the only asian comedian that anybody's ever heard of um and i think it's just uh i think it it took it would have taken somebody else to like carry that banner, but it wasn't that fan. Um, I had this conversation with other comics uh, for the documentary that I'm shooting. Actually, we, we staged a men's sale night and we just got to talk about what it's like to be a Vietnamese stand-up comedian. And uh, that fan definitely came up and that fan was definitely roasted. <laughs> um, but uh, I think, I think that dude walked so we could run. I think, I don't think I would have naturally figured out that the Asian mom jokes are tired if I hadn't seen him, uh, his downfall from doing that too badly. It's like, that's a fucking great topic to segue into, man. That's the thing. Let me ask you this. When does Asian stereotype jokes work and when does it not work? And why does it work and why does it not work? Because sometimes it works. You know, I think about that all the time. Like some shit's really funny and it works and it's an Asian mom joke. And then most of the time they're just cringy. They're just like, fuck, like I, like I might understand it, but does the next guy next to me, mainstream America understands it? Does it give a fuck about it? Why is it? And I have my own thoughts, but I want to hear from you why you think that some of these land and some of them don't. Um, I think, well, I can only speak from, cause like every market is different in America. Right. So just speaking from what works in LA, in my opinion, is that people are over it. People are over the Asian stereotype stuff. I mean, their audiences are pretty, I hate using this word because it's overused, but woke. Um, they know that if you're doing that one on one, uh, thing that it's either going to be hacky or it's got to have an obvious twist to it. Um, so uh, 
I think I think at this at this point, at least in my experiences in California, like if you're gonna do an Asian stereotype, there better be some fresh twist to it because we've heard it all before. We've all heard about the anatomy jokes. We've all heard about uh, what are the other ones driving, <laughs> etc. Yeah, uh, driving the anatomy ones, fucking the Tiger Mom ones, Tiger Parents right? in general. Yeah, they're fucking. I I didn't even like it in two thousand three. I was I didn't find it funny back then. Yeah, see that's that's the, uh we're not super different in age uh now but I mean you uh you were probably in college when Def Fan hit, right? Yeah. yeah. You I was in high school and I was like, "Oh, this is amazing." This but is- it was weird. I was never proud of that moment. Like I was proud of my film guys, like, you know, the guys who like made their marks in the film industry in 96, 98. I was so fucking impressed and, and proud by them. But the comedy world, like it didn't, it didn't, you know, Embarrassed by Night is probably the first time I've ever been proud of Vietnamese comics. I was like, wow, fuck, man, we've come a long fucking way. We still got some kinks to work out because there's still some Asian stereotype jokes there that didn't land well with me in particular, but Mm. I'm not going to name names, but we, you know, we have a long runway to go and I love it, you know? Yeah, that's, that's amazing to hear, man. That's the whole reason why uh, we start this. We're trying to just bridge, uh, we're just trying to not bridge, but bring Vietnamese people together through humor. Yeah. And our friends. Yeah. Now, why can black jokes land when they talk about their moms, when they talk about their culture? Why is it land for all of us? Um, okay. Black comedy, and I'm not an expert, so I'm just speaking as a fan. Uh Black comedy is way more precise, I feel like, in their delivery. And um, I mean, it's, it's no secret that to be able to to rock a, a black crowd, you got to be loud, you got to be fast. Um, and they train in that. Uh, so that that I think that's just like just purely from. Delivery? Delivery. But look at Chappelle. Um, Chappelle's not loud and fast. He's actually slow and very quiet. True. But then Chappelle's like got that whole whole lore behind him, you know? So people are buying tickets to see him. When you're buying tickets to see, no offense, but Sean Porter, I don't know who Sean Porter is, uh, but he's going to make me laugh because he's, he's got that very, very crisp delivery uh, on those jokes. Um, I mean, I don't know. I can't really see. I have to go. I have to go hit the hit the scene a little bit harder. But I hit. I haven't seen too many like other. Uh, you know, I feel like I feel like what I'm about to say might get me in trouble. So I'm not gonna. Okay. You're a comic. Don't worry about it. No, no. I was just gonna say like I haven't seen too many uh black comics who do who go the slow route. But there's plenty that I'm just like not thinking of right now. Yeah, yeah. Who do like the slow, like almost like Mitch Hedberg esque vibe. I, I I see it. I see. I think you're right. They got they they're they're a lot more uh, quick and and loud and boisterous and 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 yeah. You're and that's right. universal. Like just knowing to how to get the rhythm down and just to yeah. But were you saying like uh, specifically uh, black material that is talking about the family lands really well? With yeah, the they, they they it's like if you took the same like Asian jokes. Uh, and you, I don't know, man, I might be wrong. I'm talking on my ass here. But if you took like we this, both are. <laughs> we can because 
I feel like this is why I got to get more comics on because I feel like you could say anything um, and in the name of this space, you can sort of like, it's not that we're getting away with shit, but we can stretch a little bit more. Yeah, I feel it. And stretch a little bit more. Now, yeah, going back to like the black comics, I think that if they were busting out some dat fan jokes and, you know, stylized delivery that they have, it would land, even though there kind of be the same parallel kind of like jokes, like Tiger Moms or like anatomy jokes, it would still land. Um, I don't know why it just sounds funnier coming out of a black comedian. I might be wrong. You know, I, I just, my brother and I talk about that, you know, quite often. We're like, black comedians can say the same ratio sort of like parallels. And I don't know why it comes out not cringy, but when that fan does it, it comes out different. Yeah. I think it's delivery, um, and presence also mm. like, I think, uh, what you wear on stage means it goes a long way um towards you know just giving off your whole vibe uh yeah i think cut in confidence too yeah um i see i i've seen a couple like uh asian comics like taking a little foray into that kind of urban style and if you don't commit a hundred percent uh to it the audience was, will see your trepidation and just smell that bullshit you know, that insincerity coming off oh, and it's a tough thing to learn it's a tough thing to get good at so you really gotta either try it and be like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna fix this until it's right or you just pick a different style yeah yeah you know who is really good um with that whole crispness is stephen ho yeah such yeah. like just crisp delivery and physicality too he's got that you know that physicality to to his delivery and i think it's probably from the the time you know delivering TikTok videos watching himself over and over and over and over again for sure um, yeah yeah that's time in the gym man watching your videos and listening to your tapes to just make sure like oh man i i mumble a little bit here i you know i i say the word the twice uh, i can't do that reps right yeah Poe has done a lot of reps and you can see it in the delivery for sure for sure yeah, yeah. we're glad to have him uh as part of our uh embarrassed by night family man i think that um eventually and and this is what i hope for the show is that just like paris by night rents out these massive auditoriums and massive fucking you know uh, stages that embarrassed by night will do, do the same thing and it is the continuation of Vietnamese American culture here in the US because uh, what better iteration of a show than to have a bunch of fucking comics go up and deliver this shit. It's just, uh, yeah, mind-blowing to see. Dude, yeah, we're we're hoping to. I mean, we kind of already looked at the, the venues that typically uh, Vietnamese productions rent out and a little big, a uh, little expensive for us, but we're working our way up, man. Yeah. Now, with that, like the frequency of these shows, right? Is my it might be a problem? I was thinking because I imagine that it takes time for you guys to work out your bits. It takes time to work out your routine, and if you guys have them back to back, people who've been to the one, two, and three already, and if you do it really close to four, 
then we're going to hear we're going to be listening to the same bits that you brought up in three so how does this work out timing wise uh we just keep moving from city to city no uh <laughs> there there is that i mean we we did our first one in pasadena and then the second one was in san jose which was probably my favorite one and then uh and then hit up the oc and then we're thinking about going to uh either san francisco or sacramento next um but yeah, uh, the fact that we've been doing it in different cities helps a lot because I know that I have like the material that I think will go really well with a specifically Asian audience. Um, I'm not going to talk to them about, you know, bicycling or whatever. Like that's that's not what they they really want to hear. Um, uh, so, yeah, that is that's what we uh, that's our strategy. And we I think we're only going to do like three a year. Yeah. Um at that at that gym too and uh some other random I think we did one for family day, which is not celebrated among Vietnamese Americans at all. I just Googled it and I was like, oh, there's family day coming up in June. But those are the I mean, as a Vietnamese American, we only celebrate those two, right? Yeah, for the most part, those are the biggest holidays. And then we have the the death holidays of our own family that we get together for. Oh yeah, those are well. Those we can't celebrate in a in a big group like that. Or yeah. Have a roast of somebody's grandpa, <laughs> dude. Um, how many more comics, Vietnamese comics, are there in the space that we're living in right now? Uh, SoCal, around the country, you have what six or seven at Embarrassed by Night? Uh, I think we had six at our last one. And then there are quite a few in the Bay Area that we worked with specifically up there. Um, are you looking for names or? No, I'm looking for kind of body count. How many guys do we have? I mean, who are the players? And, you know, are there 30 guys in the country? There are 50 of them. How many Vietnamese comics are there in America? And who's like the old school, long, longest guys? Who's the um, and up and coming guys? Yeah, uh, great question. Uh, well, if you know Robin Tran, uh, I don't know her personally, but she's been on a tear this last two years, um, showing up on Comedy Central. Uh, there are people who have been doing it or seemingly for a while. Like there's a there's a lady named Nicole Tran uh, in the Bay Area who's got a very very different style than what you see um she i think she's in her gosh I, i'm gonna say early 50s and hope that that doesn't uh piss her off um i i guess low um uh she she does like a very wild like pun based style of comedy and she she rocked the ao at our san jose show oh shit um yeah, there's a there's a real variety of us. And even like within the, the show that you saw, you saw like everybody's got like a different style, which is super cool because it didn't used to be like that. Oh, really? Um, but to what answer you, your question. Wait, what do you mean it didn't used to be like that? Like everybody did the same thing? Yeah. Um, hmm. I was just thinking like it didn't used to be that there were a bunch of uh asian people on a show so that we could showcase that diversity um because then because 
I don't know. I felt like when I was first starting out, if I was like on an, the only Asian on a show, which I almost always was, uh, then I would be the Asian on the show. Mm. But in when I do this show, I can be like the dry humor guy. But then that just may be my own insecurity speaking out. <laughs> <laughs> you were going to answer a que- one of my questions uh, earlier. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say uh, 25 in California. 25 Vietnamese comics that you should know about. Um, and then the U.S. boy, I don't know. You would have to talk to Andy Van because he keeps he keeps uh, better tracks of that. Who are the top guys, in your opinion? Um, oh man, uh, I'll just say everybody in Embarrassed by Night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what just do you to believe? keep it in the family. Anybody okay. who's ever been a part of Embarrassed by Night is that. somebody that I'm sincerely Im- uh, impressed by, and I feel. Uh, I feel badly if I've left any, if anybody feels slighted by not having been invited onto the show, because we are stoked to have anybody. We just, we just can't find you. So reach out to us. If you're mm. listening. Very cool. Cause, yeah. Cause what? Yeah. We're here to, we're here to celebrate Vietnamese comedy in, but, in but, all forms. But you know what? Your show is different than my podcast, right? Your show has to deliver something the podcast is all about me and my <laughs> interest in you that's all people you know I, that's all i care about is really am i am i finding my guest thing you know do i find you interesting and i invite you on the show and i want to hear these historical things about comedy i want to hear what makes good comedy i want to hear your perspective right i don't have to deliver per se i mean of course it needs to be entertaining but i don't have to deliver a hard you know there's a hard yes or no was it was the show funny or not because people have asked me did you find it funny i was like yes i was very impressed by the comics and you know there's some talent there um and i think that we have such a a a beautiful future in the road that you're taking but that means that you just can't bring anybody on right let's face it because if you have shitty comics that brand will suffer. How do you mitigate that? Well, there's there's different ways. I mean, if you if if somebody uh, offered to do comedy and it turns out they've only been doing it for like two years and stuff, but they are at least an interesting person, and the tape that they sent was, I mean, there was like a little spark in there. You know, we could invite them to do like two minutes or three minutes, just like as a guest spot. That's the kind of nice thing about running your own show is that you can tailor it to however you want and we are very meticulous in like the order that everything goes um we argue about that stuff constantly you could feel it you could feel the order it does make a huge difference and we'll get into that in a bit too if you if you can yeah um so yeah we we want to give everybody a shot but of course like yeah if you if you don't have the chops and you don't have the chops but we can the the great thing about this show is that we we want to have you on so we'll go in an extra step to see like how how you can get involved. I mean, you can just post our about our show a bunch on Instagram if that's <laughs> if that's the only way that you could help. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, what makes what makes a good comic for Embarrassed by Night? Um. Wow. Um, you have to be Vietnamese. Um, you have to be Vietnamese or part Vietnamese, right? 
Yeah, you can't. Lineage. You can't be like a white guy who's dated a lot of Vietnamese girls. Although that would be like a pretty interesting <laughs> diversity hire. <laughs> just hear, just hear his takes. Um. Uh, just to, I mean, it, it all just comes from uh the reps that you do, doing open mics and just that dedication to the craft. Because if if you've been doing comedy for a long time and you have like a lot of a uh, lot of past experience, you'll know how to insert yourself into this kind of show. Um, especially if you know what Paris by Night is, you know the the gaudiness, the the musicality of it. Um, you'll just know. And we've been fortunate enough to get everybody who everybody that we've hit up has delivered totally to the tone of our show. Yeah, it's true. There's a tone there. Yep. <laughs> at times, uh, at times, maybe. Uh, not on purpose, but that's definitely a tone. How did you get into comedy? Oh, um, I, I've always liked to make people laugh. Um, my my dad, when he uh, first immigrated to America, uh, found a roommate in the San Jose Mercury News, and that guy was a um, he was an engineer uh, from Medina, Ohio. He's an obese white engineer and he played a big hand in uh raising my sister and i and he was a hoot he was he was a hilarious guy um and so definitely uh sparked my love for laughter making other people laugh and cleverness and uh interest in what different words mean and how they fit together to to incite a feeling um and then uh also, my mom was a big. She's she's kind of a she's kind of a pack rat. She loves garage sales. She's always had this fascination with going to garage sales and picking stuff up. So I would just get like weird stuff from the seventies and eighties. That <laughs> so one of them was uh, Bill Cosby tapes, and and I, I'll say no more about that. Other than that was just it was fascinating to me to hear that that somebody was making rooms of people laugh through uh his wordplay um and then that's how i got uh just got hooked and then in college david cross was a big influence um and that was when i started doing comedy and i've always been around live comedy but i didn't get serious about doing stand-up until 2015. and what do you um, mean by getting serious uh i'd always been uh like around, like I used to host the host and produce an improv show. Like I was always around improv uh, in LA. Uh, I then for a few years did a musical comedy show. So I was always like in front of people and in in some form, like hyping people up or doing like a one minute bit. Um, but 2015 is when I was like, all right, I'm gonna like actually write down something and go to an open mic and say it um, instead of just like riffing or doing like the improvisational comedy, which which was a lot of fun, but Sam comedy definitely gives me that, that satisfaction of like, dude, I wrote that and I made that whole room laugh. Wow. What a, what an exhilarating experience I can imagine. Yeah. Um, I'd love to do it again. <laughs> you mean what? Uh, get up and talk on the mic and yeah, I've been, I've been busy with other stuff. So embarrassed by night was actually the last show I, that I did, which is um, if another stand up 
here's this, they would be like, oh, he's slacking. Yeah. Why, 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 why would you not be doing it regularly? Why not? Why not? You, you've talked about putting in the reps, going to the gym. Why, why haven't you been consistent at it? Um, I'm, I'm working on this documentary and ah. that's been, uh, that's been eating up a lot of my time. Um, and then, you know, you, you've gone to the gym and you know how, like, once you drop off a few days, it's really hard to get back into it. So, uh, maybe yeah. saying this on a podcast is what needs to get my ass in gear. Yeah. Well, let me ask you how, how many, how long have you been out of the quote unquote, the gym? So this embarrassed my night. So uh, how long was that ago? That's like a few weeks ago. A few weeks ago. So, so wait a minute. You're you're talking about like what about before Embarrassed by Night a few weeks ago? Were you going to the stand up? Were you involved in it? Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, it's just once I started working on this documentary, I kind of focused all my creative attention to that. Hmm. And uh, and I bet you can tell that it sounds like I'm making excuses. <laughs> no, man. I I you know I'm I'm in the art like art world i know i know what this is about man i'm so glad we're talking about that right now because to stay consistent at any of this shit requires so much goddamn energy and support and financial support and focus and if the right. list goes on why this is the heart one of the hardest things to do in life is to pursue your passion for your art yeah but specifically stand up, I will say, uh, takes a lot because you got fucking drive. Yeah, I go sit in a room, put your name in a bucket, and then just sit there and like, I don't know, buy like three, four drinks before you even get pulled up to go do three minutes to a an audience that's tired. So just that risk of having mm -hmm. a really shitty night uh, that like won't pay off is. Um, enough to keep a lot of people uh in the house um and you know not and and uh, playing hooky on on the making making more of their craft so what would you consider a good week uh in terms of going to the the gym oh it's gotta be every day holy shit yeah multiple Damn. multiple sets a day if you can so now it's now it's clear why you think that I was uh, looking at judging you. I get it now. I was like, why are you thinking that I judge you? Oh, I see. So and I was like, wait, embarrassment. I was only like three, four weeks ago. Why is it such a big deal that you're bringing this now? I'm like, holy shit, you got to do this every day, multiple sets. Yeah, that's how you that's how you get to that to that high, high level. I did not know. I'm so glad that, that we're talking about this. I, I don't think most people know that you have to be in these bullshit rooms every night to get better. Mm -hmm. And then like you'll get booked on a show maybe, I don't know, after you're, I mean, it's obviously it's different for everybody, but you know, after you've been doing it for a few years and people start seeing you and saying like, oh, he's kind of funny, then they'll book you on a show and then you'll have like one show a month or like two shows a month and every and much, other day how much do they that, pay 10 bucks what 10 bucks 20 bucks i i'm uh i'm doing okay i've done a couple festivals this year and the most i've made for doing for getting booked on four shows was 100 and i had to fly you had to fly it's, yourself out yeah 
there's, there's not a lot of money in it. Um, but you do it because it's like once you step off stage, once you like crush the room, that's like the best feeling in the world. Yeah. That'll stick yeah. with you for life sometimes. Really? Yeah. Just remember that time in San Francisco when I totally killed or, it. you know, yeah. Or also the opposite is true. If you <laughs> I totally ate shit. Yeah, totally ate shit. That'll stick with me for a while. I'll have to do some therapy to get rid of that. Oh, so what's the end game? What's the end goal of it all for you? Well, I'm, uh, I keep, uh, I keep bringing up this documentary because that's been like a big fascination, um, to, to try my hand at filmmaking and seeing how the skills that I've developed in comedy can mm, cross over, cross over to, to writing the, the text for this documentary film. Um, so yeah, I think, I think, uh, that, that would be awesome if I can start like, you know, moving towards writing, um, and then also be doing like stand up sets, uh, whenever I, whenever I can. What is the film about? Um, it is, so I, I actually lived in Vietnam for between 2017 i moved like shortly after trump got inaugurated and i think that that was a little bit of a motivator for me to like just go to another country just go fuck off to another country for a couple of years um so i actually had gone uh on vacation to hanoi and just was going to spend a week there i had a blast and met a, another a vietnamese canadian girl who was teaching uh, english in hanoi and she's like yeah i'm just going to be here for a year and then uh, at the time i was working uh, an online, just a menial online job. And I was like, wait, I could do that. I could move to Vietnam for a year and just like make my money on the internet. Uh, and so I did. And then that turned into uh, almost four years living in Vietnam. And uh, over uh, my time there was complicated. I felt like to see, to see Vietnamese people and how they live in modern times versus how I'm able to enjoy my life. Um, but I, I, I had these like, I, I had these, oh, this conflicting feeling that I'm hoping to explore in the doc. So I'm going to go over there to, to Saigon specifically. And uh, I have about 12 interviews lined up. They're all Viet Q. They're all overseas born. Uh, most of them are American, but they all have different jobs. I have a chef, a VBA basketball player that I'm going to talk to, a DJ, just all these kinds of creatives and and uh, professionals, and uh, ask them like, "Hey, do you also feel this like weird? I don't know, guilt <laughs> living here and like kind of like taking advantage of this inexpensive city that we are able to enjoy just through virtue of having been born to." our parents who sacrificed a ton uh, to get there. Also my, uh, my mom who refuses to go back and she's, I think she's going to be a big part of the documentary too uh, is uh, she used to always say things like uh, one day I want you to experience Vietnam and see what true suffering is. <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't think I want to go. It's that. What is shit? But it's also like, mom, you don't want to go back. Like you refuse to go back. So how are you the, how do you know? And I've been trying to share with her. Like they're not suffering over yeah, there. They're not suffering. In fact, they're living a better life than we are in, in, in a lot of cases. Not most, but a lot of cases. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, There's I a mean, lot of joy on people's faces. Totally. I've noticed. 
I mean, if you think about it, there's a 98 million people living in Vietnam. There's, I don't know, a few hundred thousand living in California. If you were to break it down, there's a lot of people who are living in luxury and having a wonderful fucking life in Saigon compared to the numbers that are living that way in the U.S. Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, so think about. I hope that this this project will be a thing that I can show my mom and people like her to be like, no, dude, it's totally fine. Now, what is your uh, sort of trajectory with the film once it's done, it's finished, it's edited? What do you do with it? Uh, submit it to festivals and hopefully get it seen by uh, somebody who either wants to buy it so that we can spread the message uh, and you know get more eyeballs on this thing um, and then hopefully get a job in something in a similar field. I mean... That'd be sweet if I could like start writing for the Daily Show because they were impressed with the quality of writing on this one. And how do you know how to make this thing? Like, did you go to school for it? Did you I bring people? Yeah. How, what? What sort of? Where's the manual, the operating manual to put together a film if you don't go through school or, you know, if you don't have the kind of like the understanding of putting a project like that together? Well, fortunately, I went to. I did go to. Uh, I have a degree in film studies from some university that doesn't need to be named. But uh, I have a lot of friends who work in documentary film who were former classmates. And uh, I've been able to pick their brain. I was just like, hey, let's, can we just go out and like get a beer so I can like ask you a ton of questions because I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I'm lucky enough to have a buddy that I met in Saigon actually, who was working as a videographer over there for a YouTube channel um, who moved to, back to LA at the same, around the same time that I did. Um, who has a, he's white, but he has a deep love for Saigon and Vietnam. So when I pitched him the idea, he was like, dude, yeah. So he's co-executive producing with me and he's got, he's like a filmmaking veteran uh, in this, in this field. So I'm, I'm really lucky to have him uh, help me uh, make the correct decisions. Exciting. And then how are you financing it? Uh, we have a seed and spark up. Um, and we've, we've asked for like a very basic sum right now I think there's like 10 more days on it. Um, but, uh, I, I read that is generally, uh, accepted that documentary filmmaking costs about a grand per minute of video. So, um, I think we're going to need more than $7,000. <laughs> uh, so if anybody's interested in hearing it, is it cool if I, of course, mention it? yeah, please plug it. Yeah, it's on it's on Seed and Spark. The working title is kind of stupid, but it's uh, Fred Lay's The Sympathizer. Um, and we just thought it would be funny to call it The Sympathizer. Um, but I'm probably going to change the name. But um, it's it's a uh, it's up there on Seed and Spark. And also on the 30th at uh, Third Wheel Hollywood, we're having a mixer event for it where, where we'll be um doing raffles and having drinks and just it's a nice social event and we'll talk about the film and uh ask you for money why did you name it the sympathizer we okay i wanted to call it okay we love the sympathizer that's it's it's a total uh it's a we're not making fun of it it's it's meant to be a silly uh homage uh and I wanted to call it the sympathizer, S-I-M-P, because that's like 
like a simpleton, you know, I thought that would be a cute pun. You know, I'm all about the puns. Yeah. And, uh, and then I found, and then my friend Brett told me that simp has been uh, co-opted by uh, Gen Z to become like a total horny thing. So I was like, all right, let's just put this because we need to launch it right now. And we don't have a name. Um, I'm thinking we're going to call it the empathizer just because there's still the hope. There's still the homage there. Yeah, I love it, man. But it, it that's what it is. And even if you called it the empathizer as a final title, that would rock. Okay, it, sweet. It's funny. And and it and it's connected. It's connected to the sympathizer. I don't you should have gone with that from day one. The empathizer. Yeah, okay. You know what? I take that back. We're gonna I'm gonna change it right now after we get off the change I, it. It's dope. Find on Seed and Spark, the empathizer. <laughs> You'll be able to Google it or find it on there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I get it. I, I, I see where you're going with the whole sympathizer thing. Um, yeah, it's very clever with the if you change the empathizer. Now, what do you think that makes these gods like Eddie Murphy and Chappelle and fucking, you know, Richard Pryor? How, what do you think they had that most people lack? um the attention to detail mm. that's what it is um i just finished watching the chris rock documentary and i'll put him up there along with the guys that you named but i can say specifically to chris rock like that dude was working on sets meticulously every even when he reached like the highest peak aziz ansari is in that documentary um it's a documentary about bigger and blacker that that huge uh uh he, he like kind of rocked the comedy world when he came out with that special. Um, and Aziz is telling a story about how he's seen Chris Rock, like modern day Chris Rock. Uh, and he had a, he had a, um, just like a, a leaflet that he's going through. And he's like, what's that? And he's like, oh, it's, it's, uh, it's cheaper for me to just like get a transcription of my last set. So he's just reading through his, the set that he did last night. And that's what makes the greats the greats is that that incredible dedication to the craft that really separates the uh, hobbyists. Wheat from the shaft. Yeah. <laughs> but wow. yeah, you got to like love it. You got to love language. You got to love like crushing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, what, what do you think? Who, who are your favorite guys? I love Chappelle. You know, he's awesome. Um, I grew up with Eddie Murphy. I named these guys because I grew up with them. Richard Pryor was always like, just like a god. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and Chappelle. Chris, yeah. Sorry. Uh, I I got to recommend if you love Chappelle, there's this four hour video of Chappelle bombing in London. And if you just look up Dave Chappelle four hours or Dave Chappelle five hours, it's it's incredible because he's not, I mean, he's talking and he's not getting like huge laughs, but he's holding court over this tiny, like he was just walking. He was just in London. He just like walking. He's like, Oh, there's a comedy show. And he, you know, people like that, they get to just go in and just like bump the noobs like me uh, off. But so he, he just holds court for four hours and it's great audio. And you watch him like, just kind of just sitting there and then just going through his act, but in a masterfully calm way. 
But when you think about the thing that he just said, it was like every single word was crafted to follow the the previous one. Um, I think it's a great way to spend four hours or, you know, if you have laundry to fold or something. But yeah, you get a real appreciation of like the greats listening to that. You're like, damn, dude. Just the way that he's able to make it seem sound so casual, like he did literally just walk off the street, but yet make these like smart, smart bits land. You know, I think one of the first, the the biggest requirement of being a comic is you have to be intelligent, right? Because you just that comes with the territory. You have to be smart. I don't. I, you, you can't have a good comedian and not be a smart guy or gal. Yeah. Or at least know when you don't know what you're talking about, at the very least. Yeah. Know what your lane is. Yeah. Most comedians who are, I think, who do really well are very just intelligent people. You may not agree with what they say. You might find their logic to be way off from yours. But for the most part, they can store a lot of information. They process a lot of fucking thought. And they can deliver. And delivering is not an easy thing, right? It's just, you got to really be very in tune with your your instrument, your body as, as your instrument. Yeah. Because it is easy to go out of whack on stage. Like there's so much going on. There's this, you know, you're in your head. You got to remember what you got to say. You got to deliver it a certain way. There's a rhythm to all of this. You can't speed up. You can't slow down. You got to kind of deliver it in a way. And all of it has to be done while basically bullets, you know, people's eyeballs are flying over you. They're just, just constant. And that, feedback loop is hard to kind of like attain some sort of like zone to get into i, I i'd imagine yeah it's so hard kenneth <laughs> it's it's so hard and that's why a lot of people well that's why a lot of people quit and uh that's also why a lot of people um like if they have a bad set they really really get down on themselves and they question and wonder like Dude, is this just not for me? Is, do, do I just not have this stuff? Um, and then that's also what, how you meet uh, a lot of people who are great at uh, convincing themselves that they have this stuff when they don't have this stuff. But because they just do sheer like triumph of will, they'll start getting booked on shows even though they're just like uh, just whack. I don't know. There's also a whole there's also a whole element of like knowing how to market yourself that I haven't perfected yet. Um, which is another reason why I'll see like some comics doing uh doing hella shows where I'm like, they they're getting on five shows this week. <laughs> but it's because they know that marketing side too. Yeah, yeah. They know the system, they know how to work the game. And it sounds like you're kind of like right now distracted with film. Um and and I get it, you know. And laziness. I, well, I don't know if you're lazy. It sounds like you're just really involved in the. You you brought up film a lot, and uh, I could I could see that you're really into that world, and you have a background in it too, film study. So, you know, I think that uh, that that thing, and you're still young. Like, you know, do you pursue the film thing all out, or do you f- pursue comedy all out? Because you could probably use what you know and what you've learned from the comedian uh experience and putting into filmmaking that's what it sounds like to me and uh you know i don't know if you want or if you it doesn't sound like you're wanting to bring the film experience and knowledge into the in the comedy world it sounds the other way around 
Yeah, well, th there's definitely going to be a comedy element to the to the doc. I mean, I'm going to present myself as like, hey, I'm a guy who does comedy. And we filmed Embarrassed by Night uh, to mirror a show that I'm booking in Saigon as well, or that I was booked on in Saigon as well. Um, I had the conversation with uh, with Alex Zung and uh, Sean Porter and Viet Nguyen and Andy Van, where we were talking about uh, Dat Fan, among other things, about being a Vietnamese comic. And I'm also also going to be meeting with a bunch of Saigon Vietnamese comics um, to have kind of that same conversation. We're going to kind of use it as either bookends or parallel uh, scenes in the flick. Um, so I'm definitely bringing that, that stand-up comedy identity to the, yeah. to the doc, but I'm just really enjoying uh, learning all this stuff and uh, like reaching out to people to like try to try to book them on a thing. And there's just like a lot of work. I mean, even now I'm going to have to change the fucking title to the empathizer right after we get up. It's going to take me. Brilliant title. Thanks, now, man. Wh what is going on in the comedy scene in Vietnam, in Saigon, Hanoi? That's a great question. Uh, it's thriving. Really? Yeah, and it's grown a lot. So when I first moved to Hanoi, it was easy for me to just like email the email the only bar that was doing shout out to Stand Up Hanoi. Dan Dockery runs that. He's an, he's a great expat. Um, and I, I got on one of their shows, and it was a big. I think it was like ninety people, hundred people, because they they only do comedy like once a month or you know once every two months. So it was a big deal when stand-up comedy was coming to Hanoi. Anyways, that was in 2017. And uh, since then, the amount of shows in, at least in Saigon, and people who are like putting on their own shows has like tripled. It's gone from like one show a month to like at least three shows a month. Now that's just English language. And that's put on by expats. And there are a couple of Vietnamese, uh, Vietnamese heritage comics uh, who are both Vicky and, and locals. But um, then there's this group called Local. No, they're called Saigon Teo. Have you heard of them? Mm -mm. So they're they're uh, they were started by Ui Lei, who I also did several shows with in English in Saigon and Hanoi. And uh, these kids are doing theaters and doing stand-up comedy in Vietnamese, and they've they've blown up. Like if you look them up, so T E U. Uh, Saigon Theo, and uh, if you look, like all of their videos have like hundreds of thousands of views, oh, or at least shit. like dozens of thousands of views. Um, and it's such a new thing, the idea of like going up. Because I remember when I was working for VTV4, uh, and I did uh, in like 2018 or something. I I did an I did an opening like, "Hi, my name is Fred. I do comedy," and they weren't quite sure how to even use the words stand-up comedian. But like in that short time, like stand-up comedy is, has exploded in Saigon, which is amazing to see. Now, I don't really know what they're talking about because it's hard for me to like comprehend that cleverness in their videos. Um, but I'd love to I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, you I'm going, check them out. I'm going back uh, next month, so I'm going to go check them out. I'm going to go with my brother. We're both into comedy and we we're very heavy critics of of comedians and, you know, we grew up in a black neighborhood and we, it's a random thing to say, but we find black comics to be the best. We gravitate towards their jokes. We gravitate towards the way they think about, you know, their angles in American life. And 
you know, now going to Saigon is going to be a very uh, cool experience to see, you know, Saigon Tiu, you know, is that what it? Yeah. T, uh, with the, Tiu? Yeah, the, Tiu means funny. Tiu? Yeah. Oh, okay. That means funny. And you know, it'll be very uh, cool to, to see this. Now, I want to make a comment about Viet Nguyen, right? Mm-hmm. Damn. He, he was on with the, the whole fucking kids, like, bit, right? Uh, I didn't I didn't catch it, but <laughs> I, I can't repeat it here. That that shit was just crazy gnarly. It it had everybody on the on at the edge of their seats. Yeah, going, it's a killer. Where is he going with this? And he drags it on, like straight face. And and he's not a native English speaker. Yeah. That's ESL. The fucking brilliance of Viet Win. I was like, man, this guy's like doing this and you know. He's a, new, he's a student here in the U.S. He, I came up to him after. I'm like, "Yo, man, like you killed it up there. That that was some crazy shit that you did." And um, I cannot wait to see this line of logic showing up in in Vietnam because it being done in Vietnamese uh, is because comedy in Vietnam has always been sort of sketch comedy, and it's never been stand up mm -hmm. comedy. You know. The sketch comedy of Paris by Night, Van Sun, and you know Asia. All of these companies have done it traditional, which is sketch comedy, and it's you know it's funny, it's great, you know if you're into that. But the stand-up shit is now that's the birth of a new, a completely new era. Yeah, and I'm curious to see how the government reacts to it because there's no um, say anything you want up there. Yeah. You, um, I remember I was getting like when I was doing shows in Hanoi, I would get a warning say like, don't say anything about the government. Um, if you say, if you talk about having a bad experience in Vietnam, don't mention the country. Just say that you have you had this experience in Asia, like just odd rules that I had to abide by. Um, I think, I think, uh, there were a couple shows that were like threatened to be canceled because like some yeah. government officials would come in and kind of like, like, I need to know what you guys are doing here. Yeah, man, I think, you know, academic freedom is coming first. You know, uh, I think Fulbright University leads the way with that academic freedom. And then cinematic freedom, the censors have gotten a little easier as the years have gone by. But nice. the comedic freedom is the next thing on the list because that's touchy. And you can't really prove it when somebody's kind of like being a diss because they can layer it with comedy and they can. And how do you prove it? Right. Like you could be symbolically talking about, you know, and I think that's the genius of where this next iteration of art in Vietnam is occurring because comedy cannot be pinpointed. You can't, you know, you could say things that represent certain things that people, oh my God, that makes total sense what he's saying. He's fucking putting down the government or whatever, but he's not really doing it because he's using language to obfuscate, you know, the hit. Yeah, yeah. I'm a... I'm curious to see how people do that too. Now, I, I'm not a, I'm not a, spirit. Uh, I don't pay much attention to politics, so it might fly over. It will definitely yeah. fly over my head. Um, but it's coming. You're right. It's coming. Yeah, especially you open up a can of worms, and you got some talented people everywhere in the world, right? They, you get some guys like some, you know, somebody who's like Chappelle or somebody, and they're smart and they know how to work it. They'll build up an audience, and pretty soon they're just like shooting out like you know total disses and put downs of the government or whoever just assassinate you know i've heard um that there's like a 
there's a stereotype between northern and southern comedy. Um, have you heard this? There is a rivalry in north and south, no matter how you know. Yeah, any subject, right? Any subject, man. Cooking, food, whatever you name it. Music. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Rappers. In um, Hanoi, I mean, I've heard this mostly from Hanoians because they think that there's a superior. Um, but uh, they they say that yeah, uh, Saigonese kind of like um, their their comedy is like uh, just like loud and not sophisticated we like to we like to play jeju yeah we like to do puns like puns aren't any better but okay <laughs> yeah but they yeah they just take pride in being smarter yeah it's yeah. funny it's funny it's 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 uh i mean it bleeds everywhere it's just not just vietnam it's all around the world with this north south uh, business you know of culture vietnamese culture and north south it's not playing out and even between like, I just learned something new last night. Shout out to my boy, Benny Tran. Um, he manages the LAFC uh, soccer team here. I'm good friends with Benny and Benny and I talk cool. about this a lot. So I learned something last night is like, bak chinut and then bak hainut. So chinut is like when you take bak 1954 and you add five and four together, it's nine, right? So it's like a gambling term, chinut. And then you take, 1975, seven and five equals 12. That's high nope, right? Another gambling turn. So the 1954 culture of the Northerners is Jinnup. And then the, the 1975 is high nope. The two cultures are, are very different. They're subtle, but it's there. But if there's like that amount of nuance and subtleties happening from 1954 to 1975, can you imagine how huge the difference is between Northerners and Southerners? I mean, you're just talking about a period of few years between 1954 yeah. and 1975, and then they're making a big deal out of the differences, right? Can you imagine just the cultural differences of human beings from the north of Vietnam down to the south? It's just night and day. Yeah. Um... I'm I'm going back to Vietnam uh, next month too, and I was I was thinking about uh, I'm flying the eighth, sixteenth, sixteenth of October, and I'm just going to be there until November second. What about you? Oh, we're going to overlap. Let's talk after we stop this podcast. Yeah, sweet talk. Yeah, yeah, hell yeah. Um, what was I saying? Uh, You're flying in. Yeah, you're flying into Vietnam. Oh yeah, to to meet with VQ, and I unfortunately wasn't able to find any uh, VQ who were who are in Hanoi that I could interview. But that's just like the the being an overseas Vietnamese over there is such a different experience than being overseas Vietnamese in Saigon. Yeah, it's, um, it's mostly because there are none, I guess. <laughs> less, yeah, there are, but but they're less, I think. Yeah. Dude, Fred, um, I want to wrap it up and I want to tell you that I look forward to the next Embarrassed by Night and I'm very happy and very proud of you and, you know, just amazed that, you know, this thing that you're pulling off is working and I want to see it grow and I'm here to support and I, you know, whenever you need to get back on with you and um, your Andy Van, your, your co-producer to uh to push it i'm just gonna try to get everybody on, that was on the last one i'm gonna get sean i'm gonna get andy you know Viet, everybody on the show because i want to highlight every comics thinking because my prediction is in another two three years if you motherfuckers stick to this 
it could become a big thing. So I'm betting on this becoming a big thing and I want it to become a big thing and I'm praying for it to become a big thing. So thank you for coming on the show today. You're the first of the Embarrassed by Night crew because you're the, you know, for me, the figurehead, you're the old, you know, the guy who put it together, but I'm going to now try to get the other guys on, on the show. Yeah. Thank you so much, man. That, that really means a lot. And, uh, I felt, I feel it in the room after every single Embarrassed by Night that like, this is, this is good. This is big. This is like, this is getting close to family now so um thank you for also feeling that i'm i'm stoked for the next one thank you thanks fred all right man